Amen. All the church said. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to be with you today. As Pastor said in the video, he's uh, in uh, the UK with Andrew Womack, uh, delivering truth. And uh, we're really excited to be able to see him uh, continue to use his gift, expand uh, the reach for the kingdom of God. And uh, we're proud of everything that uh, our pastor gets to do all over the world. So uh, we can say amen to that too. Amen. amen. Good. So uh, about, I think the majority of you aren't totally disappointed that I'm here today. Uh, so for the ones that are disappointed that I'm here today, um, ministry teams will be available at the end of the service <laughs> to pray for you, uh, to deliver you uh, with whatever your personal uh, offense with me is. So um, yeah, I haven't even preached yet, so at least wait to be offended till I'm done. Amen? Okay, great. So I want to ask you a question this morning. It's a question you might have been asked before, and it's definitely a question that you've heard a lot of different uh, responses to. Uh, maybe you've asked this question to somebody else, or once again, this question's been asked directly to you. But it seems like a pretty straightforward question, and I promise there's nothing really to trap you, but there is something with this question that I want to do today to hopefully reveal something to you. And for those of you that already have had this revealed to you, I want to, uh, through the things that God has placed in my heart to say today, refresh this revelation in your life. Amen? All right, good. So the question is this, who do you look like? You've probably answered that different ways. And if you've asked this question to somebody else, they've probably answered it different ways. And the reason I know that this question is important and the reason that I know that this question matters and the reason that I know this question does something to us is because anytime that anybody has told you that you look like somebody that you know is way less attractive than you are, it bothers you. A little humor, first thing in the morning. And the same thing is also true. Anytime somebody's told you that you look like somebody that is far more attractive than you are, deep down you know it's probably not true, but you still allow it to flatter you. And you say, I've always looked like that person. Yeah. So this is an important question. Who do you look like? And it's interesting to hear the different answers that come and our response emotionally to some of those answers. For some of you, you light up and you beam and you glow when we say that you look like such and such celebrity. Or for some of you, you beam up and you glow whenever we say you look exactly like your mom or you look like your brother or you look like your sister. But can I be honest with you? For some of us, whenever we hear that we look like people from our past that have hurt us, that have let us down, it produces an emotion on the inside of us that is not the same emotion that when we hear we look like that celebrity. For some of us, the worst possible thing that we could hear is that we look like, sound like, or are acting like the person in our life that we have vowed we will never look like, sound like, or act like? It's an important question. Who do you look like? Because if I'm being totally honest with you, and I am a preacher, so I should probably be at least 80% honest with you, but today I'm gonna be totally honest with you. Um, I've had some personal revival in my whole life, so I lie 20% less than I used to. So I'm gonna be totally honest with you this morning. And I'm going to tell you that what you see in your life and how you see things in your life are ultimately all being determined by who you see in yourself. So I'm going to say it one more time because I know it's still early. It's not 11 o'clock yet. So I'm going to say it one more time. What you see in your life and how you see things in your life is ultimately being determined by who you see in yourself. When you look into the mirror, what do you see? When you look into the mirror and the mirror reveals to you what kind of a spouse you are, what do you see? When you look into the mirror and you ask what kind of father or mother am I, what do you see? When you look into the mirror and you ask what kind of employee or what kind of uh, leader am I, what do you see? When you look into the mirror and you say, what kind of 
son or daughter am I? What do you see? Because I believe that who you see in that mirror is determining what you see and how you see in your life. See, the truth of it is, is that we all have lenses. Everybody go like this, even if you don't have glasses. Okay. So I see part of your problem. Only 50% of you are obedient to what the preacher says. So <laughs> go like this and you have, you're like this with your lenses. Okay. We all have lenses. For a lot of us though, our lenses were crafted by people in authority over us that told us things like, you're a failure. You're ugly. You're not smart. You're worthless. And I believe that we've got a decent amount of Christians here today, at least in name, Christians. I'll come back and teach that. That's its own message right there, what I just said. But we'll do that another day, not today, because I only have three hours this morning. So you want to come back and do it. Everybody say, oh, God, please, no, Dwayne, come back. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have three hours this morning. We only have an hour, so we've got to move quickly, which I need you to pay attention. Is everybody good? Okay, good. So come for a couple of rows were the loudest. So balcony, you guys okay up there? You guys, here's, here's the thing about it. I have a hard time looking up because the glory is so bright in the balcony. It's always like right here too, where that, where that, oh, it was just the light. My bad. Sorry guys. Okay. So balcony's good too. So we're all on the same page, but a lot of us have lenses that determine how we see because lenses determine how we see. Do you know if I look on the back row here, I can see Kevin, I can see Steve, I can see Jordan and Liesl. And uh, I'll stare in the light too long. I think Christy's back there. Yes, here you are, Christy. The light's hurting my eyes now. That was a bad idea to stare at that. You guys are just so glorious in the balcony. You hurt my eyes. Uh, I can see people at the back. Those are the what's that I can see. Is everybody okay with that? We, I know they're who's, but let's just call them what's right now, okay? That's what I can see. What I can see when I look in the back are these people. Now, if I take off these lenses, did those people go away? No, but they did to me. Because I, I have a really hard time seeing their faces. It doesn't mean that they stop being there. But you know when I take off these lenses, there are things there that I don't have the capacity to see anymore. Okay. I want to tell you that the lenses that you're wearing are determining who you see when you look in the mirror. What you see when you look at your kids. Who you see when you look at your spouse. And I want to propose to you this morning that there's things that you don't have the capacity to see because you have the wrong lenses on. That's what I believe. And I believe this morning is all about Jesus, the good physician, the good doctor, giving us an adjustment on our prescription because some of you need new lenses. I'm not saying you're not saved, okay? Let's get over that. I believe the majority of folks today have made a decision to follow Jesus. But just making a decision to follow Jesus doesn't mean the same thing as having your mind renewed to the things of God. If it was the same thing, then Paul wouldn't have written to already save folks in the book of Romans that you need to be in the process of having your mind renewed. How you see is determined by how you think. And for some of us currently, we're going to heaven, we're living in union with God, but the loudest voice in our life right now is the voice of our past that has given us lenses and told us that we're failures. Has given us lenses and told us that God is deep down, borderline, about to snap whenever he looks at us. Some of us, the loudest voice and the lenses that we wear keep us from being able to connect and thrive in our union with Christ because deep down we really do feel like God is keeping tally marks of our mistakes and at any point in time he might give up on us. Now, these lenses have been crafted and formed because of experiences that we've had in our lives. And I want to say again that this morning, I believe that the Lord Jesus wants to give us some new lenses. Because what you see in your life and how you see is going to be determined first and foremost by who you see whenever you see yourself. All right. So we're going to pray. Father, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share with your children today, that you love them. And I pray, God, that as we take some time to search the scriptures together, to pay attention to the Holy Spirit, that all of us would be committed to being open to the possibility that we might have some wrong lenses on. I pray against self-righteousness. I pray against, Father, a, a, a attitude of, I don't need to hear this. 
And I pray, Lord, now for a softening by the Holy Spirit in every heart that we would approach you today out of a place of humility, out of a place of reverence, out of a place of love, and say, Father, if there's anything that's keeping me from seeing myself, the people around me, and this world, from seeing it the way that you see it, change that in me today, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I wanna tell you kind of the punchline up front, if that's okay. And because there's a lot of debate in the room, not verbally, but emotionally, and in our self-talk, in response to the question of who do you look like, I just wanna tell you from the get-go who you look like, and then I'm gonna spend the rest of the time proving it to you. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, so here we go. Cat's out of the bag. Are you ready? But this, it's a nice cat. It's not a rabid cat or a vicious cat or a feral cat. This is a nice cat. We're gonna let it out of the bag, and you're gonna see. You're gonna like it. It's nice. It's the kind of cat you'd actually wanna touch. You know, you see some cats, and you're like, I don't know if I should touch that cat. This is the kind of cat that you'd be like, oh, that's a soft, nice cat that I want to touch and I want to play with the little toy with, okay? It's that kind of cat. So don't be afraid when it comes out of the bag. It's not secretly a bobcat. It's not secretly a mountain lion. This is just a nice cat that we're going to let out of the bag. Are you ready? Is everybody ready? Say, I'm ready. ready. One more time. I'm ready. ready. Look at your neighbor and say, you're ready too. Okay, here we go. So the cat's coming out of the bag. Let me tell you, church, who you look like. You look like your dad. So, like, you look so much like your dad that if you and your dad were at a party, everybody would be going around and saying, it's crazy how much you guys look alike. Like, people would be wanting to take pictures with you and Father God because you guys look so stinking the same. In fact, you're the spitting image of your father. You even laugh like him. You smile like him. You have a sense of humor. You think like him. You feel it? What's happening right now? You're looking at everything I'm saying through your lenses. What's happening right now? This on the inside of so many of us. Wait a second. That's irreverent. God's holy. God's righteous. I know. You are too. Well, I can't look like my father because of what I said to my wife this morning. I haven't talked to my wife, just so you know. She's asleep when I went to the house. So I'm not talking about me. I am talking about you. I didn't come here to talk to me. God and I talked about me over the past three or four weeks, so I can talk to you today. So today's not about me. Today's about you. And you need to hear this. This isn't the time when you say, man, this is one of those messages I really wish so-and-so was here. No, God's saying, yes, that so-and-so is you, and you're here. So you're going to pay attention to what I have to say. Praise God. Here we go. You look like your dad. You sound like him, you look like him, you smile like him, you smell like him. You have his sense of humor, you have his laugh, you have his thoughts. There it goes again. Why? Why, why does that happen whenever we say those kinds of things in the room? Because I believe it's possible for our eyes to be open to Jesus, but still to be closed concerning ourselves. Why do I believe that? Well, I believe it. Because I'm going to tell you a little story about a guy named Saul. You ever heard of Saul before? Saul wasn't a very nice person at one time in his life. He kind of beat up, imprisoned, and killed Christians. That's you and me. You think we would have got along with Saul? You think we would have liked to invite him over for lunch? Probably not. Okay? So Saul has this problem. In fact, Saul believes that he looks like his dad too. Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, the holy God. And it's God's holy, just righteous wrath that I'm on this earth to fulfill, which is to squash every heretic to stop this Christian cult-like movement, and I will do it with holy obedience and fury, and I will uphold the law, and I will uphold the scriptures of the living God and stop these people that are saying that there's this Messiah, there's this inferior false God who's gone around and said that he looks like the Father. That's kind of Saul's internal self-talk. So how do I know that? I've just read the Bible. So that's what it pretty much says in the Zach IV translation. Release this fall. We'll be sure to sell them in the foyer, okay? So here's the thing that you wanna know and that you wanna, I'm not making my own translation of the Bible. Just calm down. But here's the thing that I wanna, I wanna tell you, that Saul lived with these lenses. Saul lived with lenses of validating how right he was with God by how fierce he was in his opposition 
of the Christian church. That's how he validated how right he was with God. Saul was like the guy that's like, I'm not just one of those guys that's going to sit in the synagogue and listen to the teaching. I'm going to be out in the streets telling people what the truth is, carrying the picket sign, shouting at folks with the bullhorn, but I'm going to take it a step further. I am literally going to physically squash this thing that is anti-God, and I will use force if necessary. Sounds like Saul has some very specific lenses on, doesn't he? So Saul's riding his donkey, and he's on his way to Damascus, and he's intercepted by somebody, and you know who it is. I know who it is. It's Jesus, and Jesus shows up in a blinding light like the people in the balcony this morning, and he shows up, and Saul gets knocked off of his donkey, and he goes blind because the light's so bright. And he hears something, a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you doing this to me? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? It's a good response. If you got blinded by a dazzling, bright figure knocked off your donkey, it's probably your boss. So he says, Lord, who are you? He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you persecute. You think Paul at that point in time just got converted to Jesus being real? That's like a real question. Do, do you think that in that moment, Paul decided that Jesus is probably real? That it's probably true that he raised from the dead and that he's God-like at least? How many of you believe that Paul didn't have probably, or Saul, so excuse me, not Paul yet, Saul probably from that point forward did not have any problems believing in Jesus? Yeah, he didn't. So Paul's blind, Saul's blind and he goes and he's staying at this house and he's probably just, I mean, imagine if that would have happened to you. I mean, he's probably just taking in everything that's happened and God speaks to a man named Ananias, a Christ follower, and he says, Ananias, he gives him a word of knowledge. He says, I want you to go to a street called Straight and I want you to look for this guy named Saul. I want you to pray for him. And Ananias is like, wait a second, Saul, is this like that Saul that will kill me and hurt me? And he's like, yeah, it's him, but I knocked him off his donkey and I've made him blind. And now he knows that I'm real and everything's going to be okay. And by the way, this is why people struggle with you being a Christian. The world struggles with you being a Christian because some of the stuff we say sounds absolutely crazy to the world, okay? So this voice came, told me to go to a street called Straight. So anyway, he goes there and he sees Saul. And what does he do? He comes in kind of timid and he says, Brother Saul, like, we're bros, right? Like, Saul, me and you're on the same page. Like, you're not pretending to be blind, and this isn't a trap. So he probably went in a little bit fearful. He's like, brother Saul, we cool? Saul's like, yeah, I'm blind, dude. I don't know who you are. Come on in. So he comes in, and he prays for him, and what does it say happens? Something like scales falls off of his eyes, and then he receives the Holy Spirit. I would like to remind you this morning the part of the job of the Holy Spirit is to open your eyes to who you are after you come to know Jesus. How many of you believe that Paul had, or Saul had no problem believing in Jesus after he got knocked off of his donkey by Jesus? You wouldn't either. But I would like to suggest this morning that Saul's eyes were still closed to Jesus in him and still closed to being able to see Jesus in the people around him. It took something coming off of his eyes to be able to see. I believe that there's many people in the church today that have had dramatic experiences with coming to know the Lord, but are living their lives spiritually blind in regards to what they look like now. Paul didn't have any problem seeing Jesus, but he did have a problem seeing himself. I'm here today on a mission. My mission is simple. My mission is to be like Ananias. And I am praying for the Holy Spirit to touch many of you in the room that are Christians and for once and for all, for scales to come off of your eyes so that you can see that you look like your dad. That's all I'm here to do today. That's it. And the reason I'm so confident in it is because I believe that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and the same spirit that filled Paul and removed those scales from his eyes is in operation in the room this morning. He's in operation in me, through you, in us, and he wants to adjust your lenses today. He wants to give you an upgraded prescription because I don't care what your past looks like. 
I don't care if your past was this morning or if your past was last night. I don't care if your past was 20 years ago. I don't care how many times you've been called a failure. I don't care how many times you've been told that you're ugly. I don't care how many times you've been told that you're stupid. I don't care how many times you've been told that you don't have the right last name or you don't have the right letters after your name or you don't make enough money. I'm here to tell you this morning that if anybody were to ask you, who do you look like? Your immediate response should be, I look like my heavenly father. Say, so why do I believe this so strongly that all of us, if we're in Christ, if we've made a decision to be unified with Christ, why do I believe so strongly that you look like the Father? I believe it so strongly because in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that if any man is joined to the Lord Jesus, he is one spirit with the Lord. I don't think that we allow ourselves to fully believe because of our lenses how one we really are with Christ. And because we don't allow ourselves to fully believe that we're in Christ, if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. All the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I don't think we have allowed ourselves to fully believe and fully embrace that. You say, well, why, pastor, do you not think that we've allowed ourselves to fully believe and fully embrace that? Because there's some lies in our life that currently are more convincing than the truth. And the nature of being deceived is that you don't know you're deceived. You've probably heard, uh, I think it was on a Sunday, last time Pastor Lee spoke on a Sunday, he talked about how uh, one of the pastors here counseled with a guy and the guy told him, if I was deceived, I would know it. I was the guy that that guy counseled with. And I told him, I said, brother, you're deceived in this particular area. And he looked at me, he said, no, I'm not. If I was deceived, I would know it. Church, do you understand what the definition of deception is? The definition of deception is you don't know you're deceived. And the only way to get out of deception is you have to trust somebody else more than you trust yourself. We don't believe that we look like the father because deep down, we don't trust Jesus, I believe, to the level that we should. Deep down, we have a hard time really allowing ourselves to not just step into it, but to soak in the truth that you, if you are in Christ, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you are one with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you were at a party People would be telling you all night, you and Jesus look exactly the same. And they'd be taking pictures of you and Jesus together. Isn't it crazy how much you guys look alike? And the reason I can say with confidence that not only you look like Jesus, but that you look like the Father, is because the Gospel of John chapter 1 says this, that no one has ever seen God. Man, I love it when people say scandalous, edgy things like that. Why? Because it makes me feel good about myself, the things I say. Let me help you with this. John, the apostle, was a Jew living in the midst of Jews. Do you understand that at that time, not all the Jews really liked Jesus and the people that were following Jesus? Many of them converted. Many of them became disciples. But there was a strong front of Orthodox Judaism Adherence to Torah, adherence to the law that was not so big on the Jesus thing. Case in point, Saul, that I just described to you. Okay, so the tagline on the patriarchs of the Jewish faith, Abraham, Moses, were things like this. Abraham was called God's friend. And Moses was called a friend of God. Abraham and Moses actually were counted in the scriptures as talking with God face to face. And here comes John. This uneducated, not a Torah expert, Jesus follower that writes, and if he wrote it, how many of you believe he probably preached it out loud multiple times too? No one has ever seen God. It's only the beloved Jesus who's the closest to the Father's heart that has made him fully known. Jesus is talking to one of his disciples and his disciples like to ask this question sometime. They said, Jesus, when will you show us the father? Because I believe one of the deepest needs of every human being is to have revealed to them who their dad is. Which is why when I was working on the title for this message, I was talking to my wife and the one thing I can't do very well is come up with titles. 
And I was talking to my wife, Serena. I said, hey, I'm going to talk about this, this, and this. What do you think my title should be? She said, simple. Who's your daddy? <laughs> and I said, that's great, but I just am not that brave. Jesus, I thought. So know that the title that's going on the podcast is, who do you look like? But the real title is, who's your daddy? Just know that, okay? So here's the thing that you need to know and that you need to realize is that Jesus reveals the father. If you ever wondered what kind of dad God is, you need only look as far as Jesus. Because in many times, in many ways, I'm not quoting the book of Hebrews, in many times and in many ways, God has spoken to us through the law and the prophets, but in this last day, he has chose to reveal himself fully through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus looks at Philip, and Philip says, when will you show us the Father? And Jesus looks at him and says, Philip, have I been with you this long, and you still don't recognize me? I've got news for you. There are disciples of Jesus, like Philip, that believe in who he is, that have seen the miracles that he's doing, but are still looking at Jesus saying, will you show us the Father? And are still looking at themselves and saying, when will I see the Father? Newsflash. You look like your dad. Amen. Not based upon your behavior and not based upon your performance, but because of the finished work of the cross. And I'd like to make a very strong case to you. It's because Jesus prayed for you to be able to. Would it be a big deal to you if I came to your house and prayed with you about a specific need? Would that mean anything to you? Okay, let me ask the real question. Would it mean anything to you if Pastor Lee came to your house and prayed with you about a specific need? Okay, so let me ask a bigger question. Would it mean anything to you if Pastor Dwayne came to your house and prayed with you about a specific need? Okay, so a little bit of revival on the front row. So some of you just don't think you need prayer. Well, that's, that's great. That's awesome, all right? So here's the thing about it. I believe that that would probably mean something to you. It would mean something to me. I think, you know, ministry team, we got them here. How many of you know the same Holy Spirit that's on me, on Pastor Lee, on Pastor Dwayne, is on the ministry team? Amen. And it's not me that does anything. It's the Holy Spirit that does it anyway. But how many of you have just had a desire at least once to have the pastor pray for you? Have you ever had that desire for, before? Okay, that's awesome. How many of you would say that it would be really cool if you could believe that Jesus prays for you? Well, I tell you, the Bible says that Jesus actually lives to make intercession for you, so he's always praying for you. But I know that he prayed for you. Besides that, I know for sure by the Bible that he prayed for you at least once. So if you go to John 17, verses 20 through 23, and John's a lot better at coming up with titles than me, the title before this next passage starts is this, Jesus prays for you. Isn't that great? How many of you want to believe that you're important enough for Jesus to pray for you? Okay, good. So we're slowly starting. See, this, this whole message, we're just starting to change lenses. You just don't know it yet. Listen to this. Jesus says this. And I ask not only for these disciples, so the 12, but also for those who will one day believe in me through their message. Raise your hand and say, that's me. Okay. I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. For the very glory you've given to me, I've given to them so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. Pause, side note, rabbit trail. I don't like the phrase that I hear sometimes when people say, you gotta be careful not to steal any glory from God. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Have you heard that? Or people that are just living in this state of false humility constantly. Well, all the glory belongs to God. Let me tell you, we weren't tempted to worship you. You don't have to say that. <laughs> we know all the glory belongs to God. But here's the thing about it. And then people say, well, don't get too big for your britches and start stealing glory from God. You ever heard that before? Or don't be too confident in the good things God's put in you because God will take them away. All this ridiculous garbage that you hear. My problem with people saying that you need to be careful not to steal God's glory is you can't steal something that Jesus freely gave you. Amen. You can't steal it. It's, it. it's not able to be stolen if it's already given to you. You say, well, that's a bold statement. I know. I didn't say it. Jesus did. He actually prayed it. He said this. Listen to me. He said, for the very glory you have given to me, I've given to them. Who's them? Not just these disciples, but all those that believe in my message through them. God's given you his glory, which is his nature, which is the way that God looks, the way that God processes his expressed image in the world because his glory isn't just this ethereal substance or this light. His glory became 
a person named Jesus. And that person named Jesus has a spirit that is, is his exact essence and the exact essence of God's manifest glory. Jesus in spirit form is now housed in you as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's why we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Jesus died to give you back what? Okay, very good. For the glory you given to me, I give to them. Okay, you will live fully in me. You live fully in me. He's talking to the Father. And now I live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity. And the world will be convinced that you have sent me for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. Yeah, that's good news. Can I be honest with you? If it's not good news, it's not the gospel. Is there any prayer that Jesus prays that doesn't get answered? No. I'm so glad that Jesus prayed this prayer and not me. Because if I prayed it, we'd all be wavering. But the fact that Jesus has prayed and asked the Father to be united to you through him means that at this very moment, you are the spitting image of your dad. Look at your neighbor and say, you look like your dad. Now, another reason I believe this is because Jesus prayed it, and that should be good enough, but since I've got to fill at least the next eight minutes. Another reason that I believe this is because of what we see in the book of Genesis. Now, this is a cool thing to understand. How many of you know that God doesn't make mistakes? So the Garden of Eden wasn't like his first draft, his rough draft. Like, let's just try this and let's see what happens. Ooh, mistake, wasn't planning for the snake. Didn't know about the two trees. Man, I got to get better at this. Son, Holy Spirit, what should we do this time? Should we try again on Pluto? That's not how God works. So God had this design for how he wanted humanity to be in the garden. And what I love about the father is that he didn't make the garden of discipline and obedience. The garden of self-sacrifice and condemnation. No, he made a garden called Eden, and the word Eden means delight. It's happening in the room again. Delight? Yes, delight. I'll do it back to you. Delight, delight. It's delightful. <laughs> the garden's supposed to be delightful. How do I know it's delightful? Because nobody had to wear clothes. What's better than that? It's incredible. There's a deep-seated need for us to look like the Father, to be connected with the Father, but there's also a deep-seated need on the inside of us to be free from the bondage of clothing. But here's the thing. Because we live in a fallen world, it's grace and mercy for us to keep our clothes on when we're together. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. All right. Let me be honest with you. The devil gets way too much credit from Christians and the church in general. Like, I've heard people talk. Not anybody here because we got it all right. But that's a joke. All right, it's happening again. I need to not do that. Okay, so I've heard people in the church say things that give the impression like the devil's the one that invented pleasure. And we, because in the church, we're really good about shaming people out of things because we have the wrong lenses on. Okay, pleasure was not the devil's idea. It was God's idea. The garden of delight Put a man and a woman naked in a garden to make babies, to live in paradise, and to have an unlimited buffet. Yeah. Sounds like a good God. <laughs> we, were, we were designed to live in euphoric joy and pleasure, divine delight connected to God and each other. Why the church struggles with that so bad, I have no idea. It's like pleasure is supposed to be shameful. No, I'll tell you what's shameful the devil's counterfeit for divine pleasure. I believe that God's so good that when you live in a place of union with him and connection with him, you'll have a new appreciation for chicken wings. I love chicken wings. They're great. But you know, I love chicken wings even more now that I'm living in right relationship with God because every time I take a bite and it's pleasurable, I remember that God's the author of pleasure and I say, thank you, Lord, for chicken wings. I have a good marriage. You know the reason why I do? Because I enjoy my spouse and in enjoying her company, her presence, 
all the benefits of marriage, in the midst of all that, I say, thank you, God, for this good gift that you've given me. This is your idea. But Christians have this like weird idea about God that his original design was to put us in the garden of discipline and obedience when he actually was putting us in the garden of delight. And I believe it's Jesus that transports us back there by the Holy Spirit. Because God's original design for humanity was not flawed. He said, well, what about the snake? Okay, well, let's talk about the snake for a little bit. God knew the snake was there. The snake is who? Yes, Satan, the devil, all right? So the devil got kicked out of heaven, didn't he? He did. Why did he get kicked out of heaven? Because the scriptures tell us that he said that he was going to ascend to the throne of the Most High and be like him. He had this dumb belief that some Christians do that you can steal God's glory. So he was going to ascend to the throne of the Most High God and be like him. And he led a third of the angels in rebellion against God. He tried to steal God's glory, which is a stupid thing because you can't do it. And he was cast out of heaven. He was trying to ascend to the throne of the Most High and be like him. Could you say that he wanted to look like God? You very well could say that. So another thing that Christians have wrong that I believe is that a lot of Christians believe that the devil is on the earth to torment us. And Christians live super impressed by the devil. I know because I counsel people all the time. And they're always telling me about how impressive the devil is. Well, the devil really hit me this week when I wasn't looking. And the devil's running me down. And the devil's doing this in my life. And the devil's doing that in my life. I'm like, dude, you need to get saved if the devil's able to do that much stuff to you. I don't believe that the devil was put on the earth to torment us. I believe that we were put on the earth to torment him. The reason why I believe we were put on the earth to torment him is because God said, let us make man in our image. Devil, are you watching what you thought you could take and steal and be like me? I'm going to freely give it out of my divine love to my humanity. And you're going to have to see them rule over you with authority and dominion and strength and power. And you will never be like me. Only my children will be like me. But see, there's this funny thing that happens. It happened to perfect people living in relationship with God, and it happens to perfect Christians living in relationship with God too. They believe the voice of the snake more than the voice of the Father. And so here comes the snake one day, and the snake says this. Did God really say that if you'd eat of that tree that he told you not to, that you'd die? That's not true. If you eat of the tree that God told you not to, he knows that you will become like him. You know what my six-year-old daughter told me one day? She told me this when she was five. But she said, Dad, why did Adam and Eve believe the snake that if they eat the tree, they'd become like God? Didn't they know they already were? I said, welcome. I said, yes. And then then I say today, welcome to what's wrong with at least 50% of the church. Do you know that the devil is the author of religion? Because religion is the false, lower counterfeit of relationship. Religion tells you that to look like God and to be like God, you need to expand your knowledge of good and evil. And you need to have more good in your life than evil. You need to keep all the rules, keep the list perfect. And if you do all these things, and if you eat this and you drink that, and you do these rituals, and you pray this hard, and you read that much, you will eventually get to the place where you look more like God than you do today. And I'd like to say that that is phony baloney. Because Jesus Christ, the last Adam, came to bring us back into a place of unity, connection, and to reinstate the image of God that he willed and designed in the garden. He came to put us back into a place of delight. And yes, discipline and obedience are a part of that. But let me tell you something. Obedience is easy when you're lost in the delighted presence of a loving God. Discipline in your flesh is totally easy whenever you don't crave counterfeits, but you're receiving the very life bread of the Lord Jesus Christ and his very blood, and you've tasted and you are satisfied. Saying no to sin is easy when you've lost an appetite for it because you've tasted something better. Most Christians are not living powerless life because they've never tasted anything better than their sin. So here we are in the garden. God didn't mess up. We messed up. Because the only way for love to be possible is there has to be choice. Say what you want, critique God and putting two trees in the garden. You're not God, so your critiques don't matter. 
All you need to know is, is that love's not possible without choice. Simplest answer on why there's two trees. Love's not possible without choice. If you know a way around it, you wouldn't have love anymore. You'd have something else. And God's not into being anything other than he is, and he's love. So love requires choice. So here we have this thing happen where the enemy whispers to God's children, like he's whispering to God's children today, that if you do this, you'll be more like him. And humanity falls. They sin. It says that their eyes were opened. Kind of like Paul's eyes, Saul's eyes when they were opened, except Saul's eyes were open to the right thing. Their eyes were open to the wrong thing. Their eyes were open to the counterfeits that they didn't know because all they knew was good because all they knew was God. But in that moment, they traded masters. They decided that they no longer listened to the voice of the father, but the voice of the snake. And what they did is they got under his authority and he showed them a way of life that was foreign and they didn't know. And it startled them, it surprised them. They were ashamed because they were naked. And they made leaves for themselves to cover and they hid behind the bush. And here comes God, mad as all get, ripping through the forest, ripping out trees out of the ground and tearing stuff up like a tornado, bellowing in anger. Adam, where are you? What have you done? Welcome to religion. I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. Welcome to religion. When God didn't come in the tornado, he came in the cool of the day. Like the cool breeze that you long for in the middle of a hot day. Like something good. But what used to be pleasurable and invited with opened arms was now caused to hide behind a tree out of fear. Because I believed a lie. And he says in a very soft voice, Adam, where are you? Probably with a break in his voice because he knows that something's bad, wrong. He said, we were naked, so we hid ourselves. And God, like any father in the midst of their child losing innocence, with tears in his eyes says, who told you that you were naked? said the serpent told us so God now has to tell them because he can't compromise being truth because love is taken out of the boundary of truth isn't love anymore it's what the culture is trying to do is drive love outside the boundary of truth and the church needs to be firmly guarded on making sure that love stays in the boundary of truth because there's always consequence for every action no matter how much it pains the heart of God and you think God celebrates people going into a devil's hell you don't know that God said you're going to go there over my dead body God does not celebrate people going over to hell people literally step over the dead body of Jesus and choose hell it pains the heart of God it pained him to the point of death people going to hell people experiencing torment and punishment in this life and the life to come. And God in the garden tells them what the consequences for their actions will be. Because you chose this, these are the things that are now gonna happen. Things that I didn't will for you, things that I didn't plan for you, but don't worry, I'm better than your worst day. And there'll come a seed, and it'll crush the head of the serpent. It'll bruise his heel, but I'm gonna make this right because that's what good dads do. They partner with you to make things right. Not hold over your head how hard you are. But I remember growing up hearing about how mad God was at his kids and how he had to kick them out of the garden. If he was that mad, why didn't he kick them out naked, church? He wasn't mad. In fact, he took their feeble attempts for clothing and he killed an animal in the garden. Do you know what they did was sin. What's the wages of sin? Death. death. The wages of sin are death. It's no different then as it is now. They needed to die. But God took an animal and killed it instead. It's called the substitute. In the garden, God was prophesying of his son. Because of this, there'll be a substitute. He killed the animal and he made clothing out of the animal's skins and he dressed them. Doesn't sound like he was too mad, did he? Sound like he cared. He dressed them. How many of you know that all of us, according to Paul in the book of Ephesians, are by nature children of wrath? But Jesus came and died just like that animal in the garden so that we can take off the coverings of shame, the coverings of things that keep us hidden from God, the trappings of religion that tell us that our dad is going to kill us and to put on some new garments because of the kill, because of the killing of that animal, Adam and Eve had new garments to wear as they went out into the world. And I want to tell you today that because of the death of Jesus Christ, you have new garments to wear. You have a new identity. And I want to tell you today that the new garments and the new identity that you have make you look exactly like your father because his plans don't get trumped by anybody. He said, let us make man in our image. 
according to our likeness. And on the cross, in Christ's heart, he said, let us again make man in our own image according to our likeness. And his resurrection is our resurrection. And his ascension is our ascension. And the scriptures tell us that in Christ, we are seated with Jesus in heavenly places. So if you ever get worried about whether or not you look like dad, you need only to look over your shoulder because you're seated next to him in Christ and let him lovingly look you in the face and remind you, you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And when you mess up, And when you fail, and if you've lived long enough, you've understood that you will. Not even on your worst day do you stop looking like your dad. Which is why it's important that we act like him. Because on the days you choose to be a jerk, you still look like him. You're just not representing him well. On the days you succeed and on the days you hit a home run, you look like him. You don't look like him any less on your worst day than you do your best day. But the world is waiting. Scripture says that all of creation is groaning, is longing for the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God. I'm here to tell you this morning that you don't have to believe the snake anymore. I'm here to tell you this morning that you can let the scales fall from your eyes and you can take a long, hard look into the mirror and say with confidence, I look like my dad. And if you do that, not only will you change, I believe the world will change too. Look at your neighbor and say, you look like your dad. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Ministry teams, if you want to come. I want you to put your hand on your heart this morning if you've struggled throughout your life to believe that you look like your dad. And maybe you've even had this internal dialogue of, I know I don't look like him right now, but one day I will. When I look more like that person, when I look like whoever that preacher I respect, whenever I look like that evangelist I respect, whenever I look like that grandparent that I respect, when I look like them, then I'll look like the father. No, I gotta be honest for you, with you. You do have a tendency to lean toward a middleman to say, once I look like that person, I look like God, but you just are leaning toward the wrong thing the person that connects you to God, the mediator between you and God is Jesus Christ. And the good news is you look like him. He or she that's joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. You look like Jesus, which means you're the spitting image of your father. You got his smile. You got his laugh. You got his sense of humor. You've got his heart. Now act like it. Live like it. Realize you've had it all along and let the scales fall off your eyes. Let Jesus touch that part of your life. Stop thinking out of false humility that you're gonna steal God's glory and just say, Jesus, thank you for giving me God's glory. If you're here today and maybe you need a dad like that, but you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never understood what Jesus really came to this earth to do, but you say, I want in on that. I don't want to be a child of wrath. I don't want to be illegitimate, no purpose, tossed to and fro throughout this life. I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. I'm ready to receive what he's already done for me on the cross. And I'm ready to be made right, to be born again. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, I ask you just to raise your hand right where you sit. After I see it, you can put it down. I see your hand here, brother. Thank you so much. Anybody else would like to join this brave man today? Say, I'm ready to receive Jesus. I'm ready to ask him into my heart and in my life. I see two hands here at the back. Thank you. Today's your day. God's not mad at you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. God doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to save you. He wants to help you. Anybody else who wants to join these three before we pray? We'll give you a moment. Raise your hand. Pray with you today. I see your hand up here, son. Thank you so much. 
Praise God. Church family, let's pray with those that have raised their hand. Repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I confess that I'm not right, but I'm ready to be right. I'm ready to make things right. I can't do enough to save myself. I need help. I believe Jesus Christ is my only help. He is the Son of God. He came to this earth and lived a perfect life. The Son of God became a Son of Man so that sons of men could become sons of God. I need that in my life. I believe Jesus Christ is Lord, God, and King of my life. He went to the cross and took my place. He bore my sin and the punishment for all my sin. He died, was buried, but on the third day, he rose again. He is alive, and I confess him as Lord, God, and King of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Help me now from my heart to live for you all the days of my life. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Once you stand to your feet, let me bless you. If you raised your hand and prayed that prayer this morning, we have ministry teams here that want to give you a book. They want to encourage you. They want to connect with you. If you're uncomfortable with that for any reason, I do ask at least that you fill out a connect card in the seat pocket in front of you. Let us know your name. Let us know you made a decision to follow Jesus today. Let us know a way that we can contact you. It's awesome that you got connected to Jesus, but Jesus never stops giving. He wants you to be connected to a family now, and we would love to be able to be your family and to walk with you now in the likeness of Father God. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you so much. We're a gracious people. We're a humbled people. Thank you that we leave here today with a powerful truth released in our lives and a head of a serpent fully crushed that we look like our dad. Thank you, Father, for us walking in that grace. And everywhere we would go, people would see your goodness and be led to know you like we know you, to be known as they're known by you. We love you. And we praise you in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You're loved. Have a great day. Take care.